your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. White Missouri's the back in the backfield with Adrian. Hickman in motion on the near side. Snap back. Adrian gives it off to Missouri. He's got a first down. 10-5. Touchdown, Nebraska. Wyatt Missouri's first touchdown of the year. Sports Nightly during the holidays is presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family. With over 6,000 new and pre-owned vehicles in stock, visit woodhouse.com to browse the entire inventory. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. We're here, but only for an hour tonight. we got quite a show lined up for you. We'll steer you up until the top of the hour, but then it's our volleyball show for the week with the head coach of the Cornhuskers, John Cook, in studio. Nebraska, the number five overall national seed for the NCAA tournament, which gets underway Friday. Huskers will host the first two rounds at the Devaney Center. Slated to play Ball State Friday night. The other two teams in the Lincoln uh, series are Missouri and Northern Iowa, and the two winners will face off Saturday night at the Devaney Center. Tickets have already been cleaned up by the folks. We'll hear from the head coach in hour number two. Our women's basketball show for the week is coming up in hour number three. Amy Williams will be in studio with Matt Coatney. Husker women off to a 7-1 and one start. They just swept a couple of games out in Las Vegas over the weekend, beating USC and Sacred Heart. A couple of good wins. They will play tomorrow night at the at Pinnacle Bank Arena at this very time, 6 o'clock start, as they will be playing Duke, part of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. The Husker men left earlier today for Atlanta. They're playing Georgia Tech in the Big Ten ACC Challenge tomorrow night. 6-15, first is uh, when action gets underway at Georgia Tech, Fred Hoiberg's club down there tomorrow night, so we will not be on the air tomorrow tomorrow night. So also this hour, Brian Christofferson, 24-7 Sports, will join us. We'll get his take on the Iowa matchup from Saturday, and we'll start to reflect back on the 2019 season. The highs, the lows, where does the program go from here? Uh, we'll get all that from BC coming up in just a few minutes. We'll also uh, let you hear from our good friends at Woodhouse. They once again are putting together a, a drive to raise money for the food, the backpack program for food insecure children in Nebraska and Western Iowa. We'll get the latest on that campaign coming up uh, in, in this hour. And as always, phone lines open and available for you at 866-HUSKER-1. 866-487-5371. Ben, let's start with some conference awards that came out today. Uh, the Big Ten Conference announced their all-conference defensive players of the year, and Lamar Jackson was a second-team selection by both the media and the coaches, and Khalil Davis, a third-team all-conference pick by the league coaches. So those two young men, both seniors, both headed to the Shrine Bowls. We told you last night on the program, uh, but uh, pretty good accolades, particularly for Lamar Jackson to be a second team all conference. That means uh, a lot of people feel like he's one of the top four defensive or cornerbacks, at least in the Big Ten. Pretty good honors. Yeah, it is. And, and happy for Lamar to be able to, you know, get some recognition for his play. Um, you know, he was a hard one to say goodbye to uh, on Friday when uh, when that game was over. A young man that uh, his story has been well documented by now, but. Um, you know, had had to grow up and on and off the field, of course, becoming a father, but, you know, more so, you know, for his future as a football player on the field. And, you know, he certainly, uh, you know, put together a good enough season to where he, he garnered that that uh, that recognition uh, all conference. And I know, uh, you know, some 
early draft pro- projections have him going pretty high. So, you know, you hope he can kind of transform some of that uh, talent and play at the next level. But, you know, for him to get recognized, um, I think it's just a testament to how hard he worked um, both on the field and off to get to that position. And, you know, for Khalil, a guy who lived in his brother's shadow early in his career, it was Carlos was always ahead of Khalil in the eyes of the coaches, and they were vocal about that. But for Khalil, I really thought he had a really, really good junior season and then, you know, backed it up this year as a senior as well. Uh, you know, was really consistent and, you know, put himself in a position to get recognized too. So uh, happy for both of those guys. Both have a chance to play in the league, don't you think? I mean, by being invited to the Shrine Bowl, that's a pretty good indication that they're on some radars to be at least possible players in the National Football League. Yeah, it's a good start. I mean, I certainly feel like Lamar has put himself in a position to be drafted pretty high. Um, and, and Khalil, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he tests with, you know, just how uh, how athletic he is and, you know, what type of position he can put himself in on on the testing and I'm sure he'll be, you know, asked some questions about his suspension. But I think for the most part, he's going to test pretty well. And, you know, as athletic as he is as a defensive tackle, I got to think that, you know, he might get a look somewhere. I'll, I'll be interested to know, um, you know, what his testing does to his stock. You have covered an awful lot of athletes over the last decade here in Nebraska, whether it be football, basketball, baseball athletes. Can you recall anybody that's maybe matured more in their time in college than Lamar did? No, I can't. And I think that's part of the reason why we tell his story so much because of where he was. I mean, I think the percentages of him lasting all four years here at Nebraska uh, would have been would have been microscopic, uh, but would have been pretty small. Um, I think Lamar would have even would even tell you that. You know, he wasn't quite sure it would it would manifest into a four-year career at Nebraska, but um, you know there there were different paths that he had to take to get to where he was, and and decisions that he had to make. You know, getting benched in that Purdue game as a junior, and then sitting on the sideline. To me, I thought that was finally you know the the straw that would break the camel's back, and he would just say, you know what, this isn't the place for me. I gave it a chance here; it's just not going to work. This isn't the staff that brought it here. Um, you know, I, I would think that uh, that would have been the deciding uh, factor for him to just move on. But, you know, he stuck with it. He continued to do the things necessary to get himself on the field. And not only did he get back on the field, uh, but he ended his career playing it at all-conference level. Yeah, did a really good job. I, I got a feeling he's going to get invited to the combine. I just think he's got the look that a lot of NFL teams are looking for. Those invites go out the 1st of January. Well, So those two made conference teams. Some other Huskers were honored. Darian Daniels, the senior nose tackle. DiCaprio Boodle, the junior defensive back. Muhammad Berry, the senior linebacker. And Cam Taylor-Britt, the sophomore defensive back. All named honorable mention. That means that they were appearing on ballots but didn't get enough votes to be first, second, or third team but got enough votes to, to get honorable mention. At least, by, at least one or two people voted for him for an honorable mention. And Ben Stilley gets the Big Ten Sportsmanship Award honoree. Uh, I want to ask you about Ben a little bit, Ben. Um, I thought he really played some good football toward the end of the year. And he was also, after the game on on Friday, the media were asking him about what he saw improvement-wise from the defense. And he said, yeah, I think we did, but we're still not there. We're still not good enough. I liked hearing that from a guy that's going to be coming back next year 
because he's going to be one of the more experienced, particularly f- defensive linemen that'll be back next year for this football team. And there's a lot of guys leaving. Both the Davis Twins and Darian Daniels are both leaving. I liked what I heard from Ben Stilley, and I liked what I saw him on the field the last couple of weeks. Yeah, Ben's going to be an important part. And I think, you know, anybody that, that knows him or has been around him knows that he's not the most vocal guy. Uh, he's he's kind of hard to get get a word out of, but I think he's kind of understanding that he he needs to have a voice, and his voice is heard. He's respected enough uh, amongst his teammates to, you know, to to have earned that respect and to have earned that right to to use his voice in the locker room, and I think he will. And and I I think to me, you know, that that idea of of Ben being where he needs to be in terms of a leadership role kind of showed itself after the Purdue game. Um, you know, standing out there in that in that windy concourse uh, at Ross Age Stadium, and not a lot of players were, you know, feeling ambitious to talk after that game. But Ben kind of stepped up and said, you know, we prepare um, all year long, and it's it's frustrating and it sucks to have it come down to the smallest of details that that we're not doing. And you know, he was very vocal about what things were going on and very honest. So I I don't know that this is the last that we're going to be talking of or hearing from Ben Stilley, you know, in regards to, um, you know, his defense, his defensive line, and even this program as a whole. Yeah. Um, all right. The college football playoff poll just came out. The last one before the playoff will be revealed on Sunday. The top four, no changes. Ohio State's still the one, LSU the two, Clemson the three, Georgia the four. There was a shakeup at 5-6 because of Bama's loss. Utah now in the five spot, Oklahoma in the six spot. If the favorites win this weekend, Ben, by looking at that, I would take that if Utah wins and Georgia gets beat by LSU, that the Utes, the Pac-12 champs, would make the playoff. You good with that? I think I am. Uh, I I think Utah is a team that uh, has had a pretty solid year. Got out to a great start with a, a dominating victory over one of their rivals in BYU. Uh, they were without their their tremendous running back, Zach Moss, who if you haven't watched this young man play, he is a really, really good running back, very physical running back. Um, kind of got his career started, if you remember, back when Northwestern played them in that bowl game a few years ago. But, you know, they're a very good team, and I think defensively they're good enough to hang around. Uh, are they good enough to hang around with LSU or Ohio State? I, I'm not sure. But I think they've kind of earned that right. You know, they, they had a, their only loss was on a Friday night on the road at the Coliseum against USC without Moss. And, you know, they were banged up that day. But, you know, I think, you know, coming back and if they're able to get a victory over a, a good Oregon team, I think, I think they will have earned their right, at least more so uh, in, front of some, in front of some of those other teams, you know, um, ahead of them or, or right behind them, I should say. I don't think um, – any of those victories would would put any of those other teams in a good enough sp- situation to jump Utah if indeed Utah can beat Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. Baylor, because of Minnesota's loss, jumped up to seven. So in that Big 12 championship game on Saturday, you're going to have number six Oklahoma against number seven Baylor. So Oklahoma's going to get some more style points if they can win. Same with Baylor, really. Utah is going to play an Oregon team that does have two losses and dropped down a bit in the poll after they lost a couple of weeks ago when they got beat by Herm Edwards and Arizona State. Um, oh, Alabama fell to number 12 after losing to Auburn over the week. So certainly Alabama, first time since the playoff system has been implemented, will not be a part 
of the playoff. Those are some of the headlines we're dealing with here on the program tonight. Again, the Big Ten ACC Challenge underway. They're going to be a handful of games tonight. Northwestern's playing Boston College. Austin gave you some of the scores. Syracuse and Iowa also underway. A big one here in a couple of minutes with Michigan and Louisville. That will be a terrific game. Man, Michigan has come from nowhere, uh, winning that tournament in the Bahamas over the last week, uh, vaulted them into the top five in the latest AP poll. The uh, Big Ten ACC Challenge, only two games last night, went one and one. Miami, a winner at Illinois, but Minnesota knocked off Clemson up at the barn in Minneapolis. Can the Huskers play tomorrow night against Georgia Tech? Talking Husker football right now, and Brian Christofferson of Huskers 24-7 joining us. Hey, BC, how you doing? Did you survive your Thanksgiving weekend? I came out of it uh, pretty good, a little a little fuller around the belly maybe, but uh, that's that's okay. I'll, I'll work on it. Yeah, my, my buttons are popping a little bit. I need to back off this week, but that, that's part of the plan. Uh, I thought I thought it was a pretty good football game on Friday. I know Husk, for Husker fans, it well, didn't turn out the way you wanted to, but I, I thought that was a pretty entertaining game and a lot of effort put out there by both teams. What were your takeaways from Friday's game? Yeah, it was one of those games where the first quarter started so poorly from for Nebraska. You, you, you were kind of thinking like, oh man, they're really getting outplayed. And then you wake up after the third quarter, and you realize Nebraska had really controlled those middle quarters and was starting to get uh, really a grip on the game statistically. And I felt like had all the momentum heading into the fourth quarter. The thing that really flipped it was the uh, the field position there. I think you know they they were they were rolling along, had the offense kind of in a rhythm, and then uh, a couple punts pinned Nebraska inside the ten yard line, and there were a couple lost drives there, and uh, obviously an unfortunate situation there at the end when when Adrian ran out of bounds on second down, and you had the penalty before that, and uh, just kind of the story of the season uh, in that last couple minutes there where. Uh, you're on the doorstep of something better, uh, but you got to finish. You got to find some way to make that one more play, and that's sort of what this uh, program's been searching for um, in the last couple of years. More than that, really, and uh, that's that's going to be the quest here as they head to the off season to figure out how you find that. I, I'm, with, I'm with you. You look back at Scott Frost's first two years. I think the record is three and nine, and games decided by less than a touchdown. And you've got to learn to flip that script. You've got to be able to do the little things. And the little things seem to be slipping through the grasp of this program. How far how far away is Nebraska from really competing for a West title in your eyes? Are they still a couple of years away, or are they only a couple of playmakers and some better luck away? Well, I think it seems like they're further away than they actually are. And I think you look at Minnesota as an example this season. I mean, a year ago – um, if like last early no mid November you said, Hey, Minnesota's gonna be on the doorstep of possibly winning the West Division and they're even gonna be in college football playoff talk, a lot of people would have laughed at you and said, Oh, that's impossible. But college football scripts can switch rather quickly if you uh make the right roster moves in the off season and that's where it's a different animal now. There's so much more free agency in college football than there ever was. Uh, some guys leave, you can bring new guys in, uh, but this program does need to find just a few special difference makers at certain spots, and I would look particularly at wide receiver. You know, when I looked out on the field near the end of this season, especially when Wandale was hurt, um, you, you looked out and you see, okay, there's J.D. Spielman now. Who else? Now, who else can you go to here? 
and the options were really very limited. And, you know, that makes it tough on your QB, too. And I know Adrian needs to play better, but uh, some of those parts around him were uh, less than desired. And so they've got to find four, five, six guys at wide receiver where you can rotate them in and out and you feel like uh, they can be playmakers and security blankets for your quarterback. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to get some recruits and they're going to have to uh, bring along some guys uh, that, that redshirted this year at that spot. And then I think on the defensive side of the ball, you look at like outside linebacker and rush end, you've, you've got to find a guy or two who can uh, flip a game on its ear. And Iowa had that guy in uh, A.J. Epineza. I mean, he had 14 tackles, four and a half TFLs, two sacks. Uh, that right there is the difference between lo- winning a game by three or four points or losing a game by three or four points sometimes, just having one guy like that. Two years with this staff and special teams have been extremely messy. And you could even make a case that that cost them the game on Friday because without that touchdown, I mean, who knows? It, it happened so early in the game. There was a lot of football to be played after that took place. But it certainly flipped the momentum instantly. And then the Wisconsin game, the same thing. How, how closely do you think Scott Frost will look at that in the offseason? And, and is it is it a systematic issue? Is it the lack of players on the field? How do you view it? Well, I think it has to be a major priority, and you have to look at everything. You have to open up the hood and say, okay, what personnel are you putting on the field? Is there something that can be done differently with just the guys who are covering kicks? And, um, you know, do, do you need more starter-type players out there? How do you, you, you like to play your walk-on guys there and give them that experience and also a chance to kind of prove themselves and sometimes use that to vault them into being every down players, but you do have to look closely at, okay, who was out there, who was getting it done, who wasn't, um, and, and maybe reevaluate that. But then first and foremost, this program's got to find a kicker again. And it's, it's a t- weird spot to be in because this has been kicker you really at Nebraska. I mean, that's the one position you have through the years really counted on where, okay, they always have a good kicker and usually a decent punter. And uh, you look at other teams, and they're sending those kickoffs through the end zone, and they're not even having to worry about covering kicks. I mean, in some cases, with the, where the ball is these days, you, you should have your share of touchbacks. And I didn't think Nebraska had enough of those this year. Um, but, yeah, you, you just cannot have situations like happened on Friday where when you look at the tape on that, two-thirds of the field was open for a, a sprinter to pick his lane and uh, then it's just their foot race, and he's going to win that every time. And so uh, it, it's back to the drawing board, and I think you know Scott Frost has got to have a big handprint on that, and I suspect he will. You're, no doubt the quick kicking, Isaac Armstrong graduates, so you definitely you have to find a punter. And, and, yeah, you need to find yep. somebody with a leg to get the ball to the end zone. But I, I want to flip it to Brian of the return game. I mean, Nebraska's yep. uh, uh, nothing against Brody Belt, but Brody Belt's the guy you're, you're putting back there. That's not a threat to – to get the ball past the 20-yard line in most kicks. Yeah, they, they need to reevaluate that, too. I mean, you've, you've got to – and they've got the guys. I mean, there are guys who were returning in high school, very good. I know they even tried Cam Taylor-Britt back there a time or two, and I think maybe that's something you experiment a little bit more with. He's a great athlete. Um, you know, Ramir Johnson's a guy, I think, who with his, his sprinter speed from uh, high school could be pretty good back there. So there's there's probably four, five, six guys who are pretty good options, uh, and that's nothing against Brody Belt. We didn't 
you know, we saw him in limited action. Maybe it's something he can do really well. Uh, but I think you really have to look at that phase of the game and say, this cannot be a part of the game where it's even just neutral, like where it's a standoff. This needs to be a part of the game where you win it because Nebraska is a team at this moment that has a very small margin for error and is playing all these close games. And, uh, I mean, you mentioned it earlier. I mean, you could flip a couple of games just by winning that one phase. And uh, instead they've been losing it. And this team so easily right now, as inconsistent as it was all year, could be seven and five, eight and four right now. And we could be talking about a bowl game and the mood would be completely different. And so uh, that's the good part is that you can see that that's very possible and within reach. And the bad part is this has been a consistent problem where they can't quite get there. And uh, you got, when, when it's like that, I think you really have to diagnose and look at everything with a microscope. Brian, Brian I'd take a standoff in the special team. Just play teams. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. I, if you do that, I think you might you might have won one of these games coming down a stretch. I, I agree with you. You definitely want to win that phase, but just play people even in that phase, and it might have made a difference in a couple of games. Okay, let, let's turn to recruiting. We're two weeks from tomorrow's the signing day. I mean, it is coming yeah. up fast, 15 days away. Where, how do you evaluate Nebraska's commits at this point? Or do you feel like those the ones that they have committed are solid? Are they nervous about anybody? What's your feel on that? No, I think they are pretty solid on most of those guys. Uh, but this is a class where you know they can take upwards of 23 to almost 26. And the thing people have to remember when they look at the numbers is you don't necessarily have to fill every slot right now, especially – uh, where you can get transfers in the spring and the summer, and there's going to be attrition and all that stuff. So you got to keep that in mind. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, I think wide receivers got to be a main priority. There's a there's a JUCO kid everybody's talking about. I think he has to be number one on the board, named Omar Manning, and he's a six four, two hundred twenty five pound guy, uh, kind of ready made. He seems on the surface. You always hesitate to say that because they got to prove it at this level. Uh, but the idea would be you get a guy like him and, and he comes in and he's an immediate impact guy and he's a security blanket type guy for your QB where he can he can give you a, a, a some size on the perimeter. So he's going to be a big one. I think Caden Johnson, the linebacker up in uh, Minnesota, uh, who's kind of looking at Nebraska, Minnesota, Wisconsin, I feel like Nebraska's sitting really well with him and he would be like, in that top two or three guys you'd have to say on Nebraska's board right now. Because when we look at Nebraska's linebacker situation, I think we would all agree um, there's some potential there, uh, but you don't yet know who's that difference maker. Like, who's that guy who can completely shift a game and be just a a wrecking ball? You know, he can turn the game just by himself. And I don't know if he's, he's on that roster right now. Maybe he is, maybe he's a young player, but we haven't seen it yet. And they really need to build up depth that linebacker. So, to me, linebacker and wide receiver are huge down the stretch here. And they're going to keep hitting that Juco route. I mean, you, they, they've been uh, offering guys uh, who are junior college guys a lot lately. I could see them taking four or five in this class. And they've got to hit a high batting average with those guys. That's got to be a deal where if you get like five of them, about four of them really pan out and can be immediate difference makers give you a foundation while some young guys figure it out. Because if you're bringing in a Juco guy, the idea is he helps in 2020 
and uh, is on the field and making a difference. So that's kind of got to be the way you look at those guys. Brian, I, I've always felt like to be a divi- even a division champion, you better have an all-conference linebacker. And, and yeah. if memory serves, I think the last one Nebraska's had was Levante David. I think it's the last time they had an all-conference linebacker, and that's the last time they won a division title. So I, I just think that it's imperative that they go find some playmakers there. Brian Christofferson's with us from Huskers 24-7. Did you get the sense – by listening to Scott Frost in that press conference after the game, that the quarterback competition may be opened up in the spring? Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to get a lot hotter than we ever imagined back in August. Um, I think there was sort of this thought uh, then that it's Adrian's job until he leaves the program, and I'm not saying that's how it was inside the program, but I think it definitely was outside. Um and and then, you know, Adrian obviously had his struggles. I think was a little indecisive. I think sometimes he was maybe over-processing out there. It's a deal where you evolve in your knowledge as a QB and you've got more things in your head. And uh, instead of just sort of playing, almost like you're out on the playground as a kid and, you know, using your natural instincts, you're, you're overthinking it. Like, do I run? Do I throw here? What's my reach? You're going through all these thoughts. And uh, it just looked like it was a little slower for him for whatever reason. I have said, you know, a year ago at this time, everybody was just, you know, saying Adrian Martinez is going to take college football by storm. There was so much excitement, all this optimism. I think what, you know, we thought we knew everything about Adrian then, and now there's some people who think they know everything about Adrian now after a bad year. My take is let's keep an open mind here. Uh, we don't know everything about him. His, his, it, the book, his Husker story is half written. There's a lot of clean pages there for him to offer a really good response and come back and be more of that guy we saw his freshman year and even grow from that. Um, and I think he'll be spurred by the competition. There's no doubt that Luke McCaffrey is exciting when he has the football in his hands. The crowd already loves him. Uh, they always love the guy who's kind of the backup. Uh, but his speed is a definite difference maker. The thing I think Luke's got to work on when you talk to the coaches is he's got to get that passing game more consistent himself, and that's going to be a big thing for him to grow in. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think they need to make the thing wide open and say, hey, anybody can win this thing. Uh, but that said, uh, I also would tell fans if you're down on Adrian right now, don't just push push that guy to the side. There's guys who have had – sophomore slumps before and bounce back from it and then really find careers and he certainly still has a high ceiling it's just a matter of him uh fixing some of these flaws that suddenly appeared here this last year very good well we're into the christmas season i, I would guess getting somebody to subscribe to huskers 24 7 would be a nice little christmas gift wouldn't it yeah that was a that was a nice setup you put it on a tee for me it actually going through tonight they have a deal where it's 75 percent off for the whole year um and obviously right now with with the the recruiting stuff that's going on there's a lot of information that's going to be happening every day uh so yeah go to husker247.com you can see the the link on there and it is uh it's a pretty sweet deal uh probably like you know four or five coffees all year would pay for it depends where you get your coffee at i guess (laughs) but uh that, that would about pay for it so uh you know i'm not I'm not always the greatest salesman, uh, but that is a good deal, so I would tell people jump on it. Very good. Brian, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. Uh, we'll be in touch, and uh, we appreciate all your hard work covering the Huskers. All right. Yep, thanks for having me. 
This is the Nebraska Volleyball Radio Show, right here on the Husker Sports Network. Bad pass, and now a back row free ball. Here come the Huskers to slide. Lawrence Stevens, kaboom! Lexi Finnerty hasn't played much this year. Barely moved. The two freshmen had the ball hit her before she had her hands ready. With Husker head volleyball coach John Cook. Tensberger sails into the one over. Good pass by Conley near the libero right side. Gonzalez on her off pin. Dice diving Dick Densberger, left side attack, Lexi off the block and out, great volleyball, it's 24-18, six chances to finish off the Buckeyes. Now here's your host of the Nebraska Volleyball Show, John Beeler. Greetings Nebraska and welcome back inside the Bob Devaney Sports Center, Nebraska Innovation Campus for match number 29, the final regular season match of 2019 the dangerous ohio state buckeyes and your number six ranked huskers in system ohio state feeds left gabby gonzalez diving dig by dicklin or by maddie kubik turns off the net great rescue lawrence difference free ball over ohio state tips out in the middle one lead block back by Stivers. defense and then blocking by Stivers. 11-7. Our team played really hard tonight. Our goal was to put on a block and defensive clinic, and I thought we, we did tonight. Bump set, Huskers tip shot, Lexi not down. Outside set, Gabby Gonzalez, big block by Nicklin Hames, who gives her a stare down afterwards. 12-10, Nebraska. Served by Lexi, pass by Libero, Kerr outside, tip shot, more block back by Jazz, and it nearly jumps. Free ball back, here come the Huskers. Nicklin chooses, middle. There's Callie Schwartz and knock, kaboom! 22-12, Nebraska. Served by Matty Kubik. Those years in Belize. Middle swing, Madison Smithers, big block, Stevens, 10-5. Wow. That was one of the best blocks I've seen this season. I thought our team played really hard tonight. They were inspired. I thought our crowd got into it. I mean, that was an entertaining, some entertaining rallies and fun match to watch and great plays. Slide by Lauren Stevens. Doug now. Gabby Gonzalez bangs it back. Now Nebraska again the slide. Stevens kaboom. That's a first-team All-American, 11-6. Haley Dinsberger gets a bad pass off her serve. Free ball over. Now Nebraska is set to the middle back. Maddie, yes. Kaboom. 9-8. Good pass, Maddie. Kubik right side. Kaboom. Lexi's son. Wow. 14-12. Dinsberger sails into the one over. Good pass by Conley Mirror. The libero right side. Gonzalez on her off pin. Dice diving Dick Densberger. Left side attack. Lexi off the block and out. Great volleyball. It's 24-18. Six chances. To finish off the Buckeyes. Via Franklin in. Line drive serve in the net. Match is over and season is over for Ohio State. You know, I'm going to talk to our team on Sunday. Just remind them of you know the grind you have to go through for 10 weeks playing really good volleyball. We did pretty well. You know, Wisconsin got us twice in that Purdue match. So a lot of good wins in there. And, and again, consistent play. Greetings, Nebraska, and welcome to your Nebraska Volleyball Show, brought to you by Sarder Heyman Jewelers. Sarder Heyman Jewelers, between November 21 and December 15, if you shop there and it snows three inches on Christmas, your purchase will be free. See store and SarderHeyman.com for details. Don't miss out. You can get all your money back this Christmas. Sarder Heyman Jewelers, the official jeweler of Husker Athletics, your official sponsor of your Nebraska Volleyball Show. I'm John Baylor, soon to be joined by the head coach, John Cook, as we begin the three-week NCAA tournament, the team that goes 6-0 clears off some shelf space. Nebraska, your number five seed is in the number four seeds regional. That would be Big Ten champion Wisconsin. But first, the Huskers get a tough draw in the opening round. Ball State 
has won nine in a row. They're your MAC tournament champions. The Cardinals are 20 and 11, 11 and 5 in the MAC conference this past year. And one common opponent, Ball State, way back in early September, lost in three to Purdue. The winner gets either Northern Iowa, which is 24 and 10, or old friend Missouri which is 21-7 and seven out of the SEC now. December delirium. December the Vanny delirium begins Friday night as your Huskers take on Ball State. I'm John Baylor. Here's the head coach of Nebraska Volleyball, John Cook. Good evening. Good evening, JB. How are you, sir? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Sounds <clears throat> like a tiring day. Tiring day. Tiring week. So... It's part of the grind. You got to win the grind, baby. Win as a Navy, the grind. As a Navy SEAL say, the only easy day was yesterday. <laughs> you got to win the grind. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Is that somewhere on some wall at Nebraska Volleyball? Win the grind? Mm, it's on the whiteboard. Nice. You got to win the grind today. Hopefully, no you want to win tomorrow, you got to win the grind today. So that's have, our, one of our mantras. Have you been winning or losing the grind this week? Uh, we grinded pretty hard today. The The theme was, uh, I asked them, I said, would you rather be uncomfortable in practice today or uncomfortable when we play the matches? And I said, our, our, you know, we want to be uncomfortable in practice so when we get the matches, they're easy. So it was a grind day. Those days, you know, take, they take it out of me because I got to grind. <laughs> I got to grind too, yeah. You're you're quite a motivator. Is there a motivational message each week or maybe for each month or just an umbrella one for the entire year? We kind of have a, something every every other day or so. I, I threw something out there. Um, just things I have saved up or quotes or things we talk about or, you know, we have our EDMF belt, which we, we gave that out today. I mean, that gets presented once a week. So yeah. there's, there's constantly things going on to help motivate. Now, some of them, who knows what they think and how, if it makes a difference, but we attempt to motivate. Is it time to finally <clears throat> publicize what EDMF stands for? Uh, yeah, Everyday Michaela Fecky. I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> Everyday Michaela Fecky. Because in years past, you were secretive about the meaning of that acronym. Well, it's because it was Everyday Michaela Fecky, and she was still here. Now that she's gone, we can share that. But that's the, <clears throat> you know, she was a great role model, great example, and the great, maybe the greatest player ever to play her. So every day, did she win the grind? She won the grind every day. That's the beautiful thing about her. She she grinded every day, and she her 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 deep belief, her inner belief was so strong, you know, and. Um, that's why we were so successful with her on the team because that's spread to everybody. <clears throat> that's what we're trying to find right now is is a deep belief in our team and our leaders on our team. Who this week has won the EDMF belt? It actually was given to uh, uh, one of our, our, our player who had it was Jazz, and she gave it to the managers. It's the first time ever, history today. Managers? So the managers. So Sato, John LaRouche, uh, Joby, and Kelly Hunter, they got the – they got the EDMF belt today, and they'll get to keep it for a week, and hopefully next week they'll be able to give it to somebody and present a new one. But Jazz last week was a deserving recipient. Uh, Laz, Jazz was given it last week by um, – trying to remember who had it. Um, but a player had it, and 
So they, they get the honor of presenting it to the next next person to get it. Do they wear it during practice? They put it in their locker. Okay. It's a really nice belt, yeah. championship belt, heavyweight championship belt. She, she could have given it to herself again. <laughs> that would be historic too. <laughs> I, I deserve this. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to give it to myself again. Uh, I'm, I'm, every, I got to ask the next one that does Every that. month, MF. Next one. Hey, you guys, it's okay to give it to yourself if you want. <laughs> 866-HUSKER-1, 866-HUSKER-1. If you want to chime in on your Sartor Heeman Jeweler Nebraska volleyball show, you got the number five seed, and that's flattering. Then you find out who the number four seed is, and that's sobering. Yeah. Well, it's the NCAA tournament. I... <clears throat> they don't want a Big Ten <coughs> fest right. in Pittsburgh. Right. They want to make sure the Big Ten knocks itself out. Yeah, they're kind of – I don't even know. The, I think they're just going by how they seeded it and they run with it. They don't care what conference you're in. And uh, it's, uh, you know, same thing last year. We had to – we would have had to – I mean, we were lined up with Minnesota at Minnesota, so it's no different for us. I'm hoping but, that Ronica Stone but, shows up. Yeah, but they didn't put uh, – you know, I, and I'm not – well, let's see. Did they put uh, second place Pac-12 in with Stanford or, or – you know, Texas and tied in the Big 12 with Baylor. They were the only two ranked teams in the conference. So, um, <clears throat> I didn't. I haven't looked at this thing close enough. Are there any other Big 10 teams that are going to play each other before the third or fourth round? Uh, Purdue and Michigan might see each oh, other in, in the, the third uh, round. In the in the fourth round, and that would be the Elite Eight. Okay, yeah, Elite Eight. So both of them cannot get in there. Yeah, and uh, Wisconsin, Nebraska would see each other also in the Elite. Eight should both teams get there. Uh, Penn State would probably see Stanford in the Elite Eight, and Minnesota would probably see uh, Tech. Now, Illinois is the wild card, and uh, Illinois conceivably could uh, could see um, another Big Ten team sooner. I'll, I'll track that yeah. information down for you in just a second. All I know is there's a lot of scary teams in the Big Ten yes. to, to play. Oh. Uh, I I think uh, Baylor or USC is is probably going to see Purdue. That market that that bracket that Baylor, yeah, first two rounds are interesting. Baylor yeah. gets USC the second round. Well, I think our I think our first second round's interesting. I mean, we're getting a fringe top twenty five ranked team who led the SEC in attack efficiency. I mean, they return everybody, uh, you know. And then you look at Penn State; they're they got to play. Uh, American to get to the Elite Eight. And then, I, you know, I was talking to Danny Busman today at Louisville. I mean, they got a great draw. Yes. And they're not even seated. Yeah. <laughs> they, got a, they might have a better draw than we do. Yeah. They got <laughs> Samford, and then they got Western Kentucky. Yeah. And then they see Texas. Yeah. So, great draw for them. And um, But don't count out Samford. You know who coaches there. The old Northwestern the coach. The old Northwestern coach, yeah. He's done a great job. Yeah. So he's he's recycled there and you know he, I always I always thought Northwestern scouting them and everything was really well coached. Hmm. It just I don't know there was other things missing in, on those teams, but they were really well coached. They did some really nice things. They just couldn't get the the talent. Well, I mean it was some of that. They had talent though. I mean yeah. look back at some of the talent on those teams yeah that outside hitter that was a stud 2011 yeah and they gave us yeah they trouble. thumped us there but the outside hitter we've had some tough matches with them mm -hmm. we went five with them here one one year but they had some and they haven't been very good since he <clears> left <throat> yeah 
Well, they're getting they're they're getting good now. Stardust. They they finished really strong. Okay. I think they won three out of their last four. Yep. Beat Illinois. So do you think they got the top four seeds right? <clears throat> JB. So the way I look at it, I think Baylor is definitely a top four yep. seed. I think Stanford is definitely a top four seed. I question Texas. I got, but because they lost to Rice, yep. they lost to Stanford. Yep. They beat Baylor once, and they beat Minnesota. Those are their two big wins. They really, I don't even know what other ranked teams they played. They beat Northern Iowa, Southern Cal. They beat Minnesota. They lost to Stanford. So did Nebraska. They did beat BYU. Okay, BYU. And San they, Diego beat BYU twice, and we beat San Diego. And they beat Wichita State, and then they lost to Rice. Yeah. And then they lost to Baylor. So they lost to Stanford and Baylor, and they lost to Rice. They had three losses. Nebraska had four losses. But they played nine matches in a row where they swept their opponents in conference because it's the Big 12. Yeah. But and, how many how many of those teams are ranked in the Big 12? Zilch. It's just Zilch, Baylor. yeah. They split with Baylor. Right. So they're playing West Virginia, TCU, Kansas State, Oklahoma. We're, you know, Nebraska's playing Penn State, Purdue, Michigan, Michigan yeah. State, yeah. Illinois. Yeah, I, I know. So I, I, I don't know how they got so high, and they may be deserving of it, but I'd like to, I think these, some of these teams get rewarded playing in weak conferences. And, um, you know, um, so like we all know the RPI is flawed. But, you know, you shouldn't be penalized for playing in a tough conference. I mean, I'd like to see a lot of these other teams go into the Big Ten. It'd be very, it'd at least be nice if the <clears throat> Big Ten could have been split up. Yeah. So you don't see each other in the Elite Eight. The top teams don't see each other. Yeah, that would be Elite nice, eight. especially since we were all so close. Mm. You know, yeah. and, but at some point you got to play, you know, if, you, if everybody advances, you got to play, play them. But... Yeah, be interesting, but I just hope the Big Ten does well. And and uh, but you know, I, I text, texted Kelly Sheffield, the Wisconsin coach, and said, "Congrats on winning the Big Ten. I, I go, it's the hardest thing to do in college volleyball." And I said, "Our conference is brutal." And he texted back. He says, "Yeah, this conference is so gnarly." And he goes, "I I realize how hard this is, and you know, it's not an easy deal to win." It's the seventh. Conference championship for Wisconsin. Seventh Big Ten? Seventh, yep, Big Ten championship for Wisconsin. Really, yeah. So, so. Your favorite. Well, they had they had one before I got there. In 97. The one, no, that was, they had one before that. Before that? Yeah, 97. 97, and then Lizzie Stemke won a couple as a yep. setter there, who I recruited to Wisconsin. Yep. And then uh, Pete Waite had a couple. Mm-hmm. And then Sheffield, this is his second. Yeah, Carlini won one for yeah, him. Yeah, This is his second. So. Yeah, so that's, that's pretty good. 866-HUSKER-1, 866-HUSKER-1. Mm. If you want to join in in the Sarter Heyman Jewelers Nebraska Volleyball Show, here's Joe in Crete, Nebraska. Hello, Joe. Great to have you on the Nebraska Volleyball Show. I uh, really appreciate uh, the Nebraska Volleyball team. They've, they've, they played extremely uh tough schedule and and not only play that but they played it well and uh they didn't uh, stumble really badly any place along the line and losses were all the top uh 10 teams but uh i'm wondering uh is there any way that we could lighten up the coach he looks every time they pan him on the uh, television set he looks like he just got chewed up by wendy and uh the other thing is 
I really am kind of uh, anxious to find out what he thinks about Lexi's son. I think Lexi's son really at the start didn't seem to be uh, fit. And then all of a sudden, uh, after the loss, they had to uh, Wisconsin, and she really played well. And uh, it, it uh, really, uh, I think, uh, made a heck of a difference in the club. And I will gladly uh, hang up and listen to what you have to say. Thank you, Joe. I didn't get the part. I do get chewed out by Wendy. So <laughs> these things happen. <laughs> no, she she tells me what I need to hear and what I need to do. Make sure I'm on 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 the right tracks. But I'm a I'm an intense focused coach, Joe. So trying to win the next point. And uh, Lexi Lexi uh, has made some big strides from last year to this year. Um, she's learning how to grind and be a six rotation player. She's learning how to work through tough times and, and uh, tough patches and when she doesn't play well. So really, really proud of her. And, and she's put a lot of work in, and, and people are seeing the results. But her stats are significantly better than they were last year. And Coach, I think I saw you applaud your team, stand up and applaud your team more this year than I've ever seen before. Really? Yeah. Really. Well, they played some good volleyball. Yeah. There, there's some times that – yeah, I, I mean, I was doing everything I could not to hang on to that clipboard, but uh, they've done at times done some good volleyball. And I, like I told them after, after the um, this weekend, they're fun to watch. They're mm. a fun team to watch. I mean, they just – I don't know. I, I, I can see why our fans really like them. And, you know, we're, we sold out first, second round. We're the first school, only school I know of so far as I've done that. But uh, – this team is fun to watch. And I sometimes I get caught up just watching how much fun they're having. I spoke to Kelly Hunter recently, and she says, You're, you've changed a fair amount. So Kelly doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> but I'd suggest you're looser than you used to be. You're having a lot more fun than you used to be. Yeah, trying to. Trying to. Not always successful. <laughs> 866-HUSKER-1, 866-HUSKER-1. But one unknown, at least from my vantage point preseason, was – do we have an outside hitter who can terminate reliably? I think you now you have two. Lexi's one and Maddie's the other. Yeah, well, Maddie's developed there and Jazz. I mean, you got to have three outside. If mm. you can have three outsides that can terminate, it it really helps. But we're you know we're leading the conference in kills per game. We're leading in uh, second in assists per game. We're second in attack efficiency. I mean, John, we're we're significantly higher than we were last year and higher than 2017 in the Big Ten stats. And you're also tops defensively we're number one and that we have the lowest opponent attack efficiency we've had in the last three years and you're not thrilled with the serving and usually no. those low uh, opponent attack percentages are a product of great serving by yeah. the huskers so imagine if you had typical solid husker serving how low those percentages might be yeah that's the one area where we're, we've you know we lost two great servers in michaela and kenzie and so I tell these guys the most important drill, the most important skill to work on is serving. And, and so our, our serving numbers are way down from where they were last year and, and two years ago. And mainly it's Michaela and, and uh, Kenzie Maloney. Those guys were great servers. High aces, low errors, and they put a lot of stress on teams. How about some of your returning players? Have they take it back on serving? Well, I, I think uh, uh, Lexi and Nicklin have a little bit. Uh, they were both really good. They're still good servers, uh, but compared to where they were last year. But I also think because uh, 
when you have when you're missing more sirs, it makes you more tense mm. when other players are missing and then you get a little more tentative and you know you'd always could count on Michaela Kinsey, Kelly Hunter, those guys, Sidney Townsend, Annie Albright. I mean, those guys served tough and they served in. And, you know, this year we've got some young people serving and, um, uh, you know, they tend to, you know, I, you know, I, was it uh, a couple matches ago? I mean, well, it was, it was a Maryland match. I mean, would we miss five, six serves in the first game? You know, I think we missed two against Ohio State. Mm. So when you when it gets everybody tense. And back to leading the conference in kills, that per set, <clears throat> that's with two true freshmen passing four or five yeah. rotations. So yeah. you're not in system a whole lot. So what you've got are outside pin hitters who can terminate out of system with four hands in front of them. Yeah, yeah, we've worked hard on that. Tonight, it's the Nebraska Women's Basketball Show right here on the Husker Sports Network. Comes off the bounce, works inside, rides down the left lane line, challenges Watson, it counts, and a foul! Oh my goodness, the teardrop went in! How did it go in? What an athletic move by Leah Brown. Our weekly look inside Husker Women's Basketball. Here's Leah Brown out top. What zone defense has really, really been a big difference. And Nebraska's outworked them on the boards. Kane, right hand, hook shot, good! Kane double figures with 10. Can you smell the corn cooking in Vegas? It's 67-54, Big Red. With the head coach, Amy Williams. 39-23, Huskers, nine minutes to go, third quarter. Verbeek reverses it deep right side. Hannah Whitey's for three in the corner. You betcha. She's on fire. Hannah's got 15. Now here's your host, Matt Coatney. It is a pleasure and an honor to be with you here with Coach Amy Williams in our first show after Thanksgiving. And it's a good thing this this is radio because, you know, in, in, in radio, three seconds is a lifetime. <laughs> and, and Amy Williams just learned that, right? <laughs> Yeah. You know, in, in the coaching world, 0.3 seconds is a lifetime. In the world of radio, three seconds is a lifetime. But we're here. Here we are. Anyway, it's just good to have you. We'll take your calls tonight. 866-HUSKER-1 is the number. 866-487-5371 to talk about Husker women's basketball. They're doing uh, fantastic this year. Record is 7-1. and one. They had two good wins in Las Vegas over the Thanksgiving holidays. And I'll tell you what I love about that event, Amy Williams, the South Point shootout. Um, usually tournaments, or that wasn't really a tournament, a holiday event um, draws friends and family, okay? Families, parents, you know, that type of thing. But this one got just regular Husker fans to come out there because it's Vegas, it's Thanksgiving, the arena is connected to the hotel. You just walk down to the gym and some really good basketball for me. I just sit in the gym and watch basketball all day. It's a really good event, wasn't it? It was a really good event. And they had 10 really quality teams out there. So um, even games that didn't involve the Huskers or our opponents were just fun to be able to kind of uh, catch some of the other games. You see an Ohio State who's a league opponent playing in the same tournament, and it's kind of fun to be able to check in and see what they're looking like early in the season and just um, to be able to watch some, some good quality teams um, outside of our own team. 866-HUSKER-1. If you'd like to visit with uh, Coach Williams tonight, we will preview tomorrow night's uh, return home against the Duke Blue Devils. That's the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Part of that preview in segment two, a little bit later on, 
We will have former Husker assistant coach Brendan Van Lingen, who's had a great TV career. She's going to be on the call with Larry Putney on BTN tomorrow night. And amazingly, Brenda got back from doing TV in the Virgin Islands <laughs> over Thanksgiving. So we'll question her sanity for coming back, right? She's going to be a little more tan than we are. It was raining in Vegas. I, I've never, I have been to Vegas. I don't know, probably more than most people. I've never seen it rain out there. That was kind of different. It was strange. Yeah, there was a little bit of a, a little drip on the arena floor, and they were apologizing a hundred times over, but they said, we just don't get rain <laughs> very often. They don't. Often. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen anything like that. I'll tell you something else I've never seen. I don't know if you noticed this because you were kind of busy coaching the game against Sacred Heart, but um, they've got a full video production going on out there at the South Point Arena. And uh, they put the game up for free on a video stream, and then they uh, asked if there could be a radio crew that would lend their radio call to put underneath it. So, I mean, we were going all over the world. I mean, Sacred Heart fans, USC fans were, you know, getting our call underneath it. So we're doing the Sacred Heart game, and I'm trying at times to look up at the big scoreboard to kind of get a sense for what people watching that are looking at just, you know, during a dead ball. I mean, we're still doing the radio call, and I look up, and it showed SHU on the score bug, the big strip at the bottom for Sacred Heart, and GBR BR. for Nebraska. Fuck, <laughs> 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 like, are you kidding? It was great. Go Big Red. Was, did you notice that? We did notice right away. It was on the scoreboard for both games, GBR. Yeah, so it was pretty fun. I at, at that point, I'm like, oh, that's a good omen that we're going to win here. 866-HUSKER-1 if you'd like to visit with Coach Williams on the Nebraska Women's Basketball Show. But as I said, Nebraska 7-1, and one, 2 Wins uh, in two days in Vegas, 67-54 over USC Friday night, and then 72-49 over Sacred Heart Saturday. So let's start with the win over USC. That roster is flooded with high school All-Americans, veteran transfers who uh, excelled in other locations like Stephanie Watts at North Carolina, for example. Um, What I was most impressed with heading into that game it was your team's attitude because they were coming off a loss to Creighton in their last game. And they could have been down a little bit. I mean, sometimes teams, especially younger teams, you know, they have a loss and they start doubting themselves. But I really thought you guys just had a great atmosphere heading into that game. Did you think that? I did. I I did. I thought we had um, really good practices once we got out to Vegas on Wednesday and Thursday. And, um, you know, we talked quite a bit about – Um, how we handled that adversity after a tough home loss um, was going to really be defining for our team. And I thought our kids bounced back and really uh, responded very well. And they defeated USC, and it was the defense, I thought. You held USC without a field goal in the final quarter, and you outscored them 15-2. I don't want to put it all on the zone defense that you switched to, but – How much of a factor was switching to that zone defense? Yeah, I thought that um, that was a very big factor. I thought our kids were very active when we made that switch and and aggressive. Um, But I think a really big thing was just the – the rebounding was a big piece of that as you know earlier in the game we had given up kind of some second chance opportunities and I thought uh, for whatever reason there in the fourth quarter we really – um, kind of got that under control and went away with defensive rebounds when we needed to, and that was um, that was as big of a factor as the zone itself. 
Amy Williams is our guest of the Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Show. I'm Matt Coatney. The phone number is 866-HUSKER-1. And the Sports Nightly Hotline is brought to you by Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Uh, Nebraska is ranked 14th this week in the nation in field goal percentage defense. And you're holding teams to just below 32% shooting. Now, I know it's early. Okay. I mean, okay, I get that. But at the same time, one year ago, Nebraska ranked 222nd in the nation. So you went from 222 to 14 in one year. Last year, you were allowing 40%. This year, you're allowing under 32%. That's about 10% improvement. What's been the biggest difference in a year? Well, I think there's a lot of things that go into that, Matt. And um, you and I have talked about the fact that, um, you know, we played very, very stiff competition one year ago, and we've played some really good teams this year as well. But um, I think a big thing for us just um, is that uh, we've tried to really stress and emphasize the sense of urgency that you have to have on every defensive possession. And it's been a focus for the entire summer. It's been, and we're still not there. I mean, we're still a definite work yeah. in progress, but I think just more of a sense of urgency to get them to take um, our opponents to take shots over contested hands every time. And um, it's it's worked out really well up to this point, um, but we still uh, have plenty of room for improvement. And it looked really good against USC in a 67-54 win. Leah Brown had a big game, 16 points for your team. Eighth straight game in which she had uh, been in double figures at that point. One of those games went back to last season. Uh, I'm sure other teams scout Nebraska. Joanne P. McCauley has to have been doing this the last couple of days. And they see your leading scorer doesn't even start. I think that speaks volumes about your team's depth, doesn't it? I think it really does. And, you know, Leah's done a fantastic job of just um, giving us an incredible um, kind of beast off the bench mentality and kind of that scoring punch and a little shot in the arm um, right as other teams are starting to maybe kind of uh, get to that point where you settle into the game, but you're maybe a little fatigued and not quite as glued in. And then she comes in and she's just got a very aggressive offensive mindset and um, has really done a great job of finding ways to continue from that position to be aggressive offensively. One of the great things about the USC game was Izzy Bourne came in and really contributed. Eight points, six rebounds, tied her career high in both of those. I I just love her game. Why, why was she... Uh, productive against USC, did you think, in particular? Well, I think Izzy's just starting to – each and every game, we just see her getting more and more comfortable with understanding where her shots are going to come from and understanding how to stay aggressive, stay, um, you know, shot ready. And I think it's just the more and more comfortable she gets, the the more and more we're going to see her continue to to really flourish. She also gave me one of the great um, interviews – after the game in which I asked her what her favorite part of the Vegas trip was. And she said she liked the lot show. And I, I kind of paused <laughs> and I said, what, what was that? She says, we, we went and we saw the lot show. And it was then I realized she was saying light show. Yeah. And <laughs> I, 
I'm sitting here thinking, okay, that's interview one <laughs> season. You've been talking to her for a long time. Do you ever do you ever have an international incident with Izzy when you're trying to communicate with her? That was so cute. It was so much fun. Yes, I I just absolutely adore some of the um, lingo that yeah. she has, and um, just really really uh, fun fun. Just her personality is that's awesome, great. and um, our team absolutely adores her, and my coaching staff just you know loves her personality is just starting to shine and um you know she's getting more and more comfortable and and i just think uh, what a what a fun incredible kid she's got to be excited that her uh, australian teammate in the fiba u19 uh championships last year thailand mila goodchild is playing for Duke. Has she mentioned anything about that? She has. We've visited a little bit. Yeah, she's really excited to be able to kind of reconnect and see one of her teammates. Um, uh, but she said we're just not going to let her shoot it quite as well as she has been <laughs> lately. So, <laughs> Oh, goodness. This is uh, the Nebraska Women's Basketball Show. Amy Williams, Matt Coatney with you. Taylor Kissinger uh, missed four games right after the start of the season. Then she returned against Creighton before you left for Vegas. And I think she kind of found her shooting stroke in the two games in Vegas. She hit four threes combined. How, how important was it for you to get TK back? Uh, yeah, she's such an important piece. And it's not just because she adds one more um, shooting threat and scoring threat to us offensively, but she's probably, her and Christian Hudson, the two most vocal players on our team and just, um, you know, defensively just always talking and, and making sure. And, that, you know, we've been really working hard to try to become a more um, – unit defensive team like where we play together as a unit and um, that communication is so critical for that and Taylor has been just uh, integral in making that happen and particularly you know in the minutes that she's on the court we just hear her voice and it just makes such a difference um, for our team so it's been really really nice having her uh, back in the lineup the last couple of ball games and um, we're just gonna uh, continue to see how she uh, holds up.